put on the uniform and found myself. I served my country and fell in love with me. Travel the world being all I could be. God showed me here is where I'd be. Always on time. Hello and welcome to Women Veteran Social Justice Network here on Heroes Media Group. I'm your host, Bridgette McCoy, and I am here and have the honor of having an interview with another woman veteran. Uh, We are always delighted by our veteran women who are doing great things in the community, and it is our honor to have, I don't know if you want me to say your full name, but Liz Estabrooks with us. She is going to tell us a little bit about her her history and service, her transition, and the work that she's doing. But I want to just jump right in and, first of all, say thank you so much, Liz, for being with us today and sharing, being willing to share your narrative of military service. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me, Bridgette. It's just an honor and always fun and a pleasure to talk to you. It is. It is always a pleasure to talk to you. <laughs> I am so excited because I want to, I want to dig right in and have our listeners get a, a good feel of like what your experience was when you first decided to go in the military because people come from different backgrounds and they, you know, decide for different reasons to go in. And so tell us a little bit about what your, you know, when, what that looked like for you when you uh, decided to go in the military. Sure. So it's it's actually kind of a funny story. I was I was, you know, 19 and it was 1977 and things had kind of it was a recession and I had a a job and um I had applied for another job and gotten the job and uh given my notice at my job and right when I was supposed to start my new job, they said, "Oh gosh, we gave that job to somebody else to actually my friend's daughter because he's my friend and his daughter needed a job. So sorry about your bad luck. You don't, oh you don't have God. a job. <laughs> and my other job had already hired someone and said, too bad. We already hired somebody. We can't, you can't keep your job. So I had a car payment and rent and, you know, I was living on my own. And so I was kind of flailing about wondering what I was going to do. And my friend, my roommate, came in one day and she said, oh, my God, I have a great idea. Let's join the Army. It was sort of like uh, that scene from Stripes. I've <laughs> never seen that. <laughs> right. And I said, are you out of your mind? No, I'm not joining the Army. And she said, it'll be fun. We can join under the buddy system. And I said, no, Ellen Joy, I'm not joining the Army. And uh, so we went and talked to the recruiter, and she actually was a single parent. And in 1977, and I don't know what the, how it works today, but in 1977, they wanted nothing to do with, with parents or, well, mothers, and especially single mothers. And she would have had to have given up custody of her children. Right. So she said, um, oh, that's a big hell no, a pass for me. And so I joined, and she did not. <laughs> Isn't that and, funny? So she talked her into it, and then she didn't join, but she did. Wow. Yes. <laughs> so, um, and so the wax had just been dismantled and, uh, I, I was the second wave of women to go through Fort Jackson, South Carolina basic training co-ed. And wow. yeah, it was a trip. Um, I, you know, I, I was, I was young and didn't really, I mean, I, I got, um, I understood 
discrimination. My mom was a single parent, and I listened to her and her friends talk about about the discrimination, the fact that they couldn't get a credit card and they couldn't get a, they couldn't get a telephone and they couldn't do things they couldn't get because they were women without husbands. And so I, I understood that at that level. And I knew that Roe versus Wade because I was, you know, I was living through all that, but, but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't put that together with what it would be like in, in the military and that, and that discrimination that I would be living and so when I got off the bus in Fort Jackson, South Carolina, with the other women and the men, and we were standing in the company area, and there were we got off the bus, and there were five male drill sergeants and screaming at us, you know, as they do. And they said two things that always stayed with me. The first was, look to your left, look to your right, look to your front, look to your back. These are your family members. These are your brothers and sisters. They will always have your back. They will always be there for you. And we we are your new family, and we are, will always be there for you. And the irony of that, that I didn't get at the time, that, but that I later understood, was that they followed that almost immediately with, and you girls, we're about to show you that you have no place in this man's army. And we're going we're gonna to spend the next eight weeks proving to you how much we mean that. And if we have our ways, not a damn one of you will make it through. That's and so for, yeah, that's an important part of the narrative because I think when people see the ads and see all the stuff, they feel like, oh, everything is wonderful. But that, that's still, even though it's not said, you know, out loud within the system, the way the system is set yeah. up within the military, that's still pretty pervasive. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty, that's, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that was January 1978. I joined in December 1977. And that was January 1978, and that and that meant something to the to the the guys that were had just got off the bus with us. That sent a message to them that it was their army and not ours; that they belonged there and we did not. And it, and it told us that we had no place there and that we were the others and that we were intruders. And yes. um, and and so uh, that was my immediate message and experience in the army. And, um, and so shortly into it, I went to, I, I loved it. I was gung ho. I loved basic training. I loved everything about it. And it, even after that, I still wasn't, I still, still didn't get the depth of the discrimination. And I, I went to my drill sergeant and I said, drill sergeant, I want to be a ranger. He said, get the F out of my office. This is, there is no room in this man's army for a woman to be a ranger. Girls aren't rangers. Don't you ever come back in my office with that BS again. And, oh my gosh. um, yeah. I wonder if he's so, alive and saw the news <laughs> <laughs> recently, the last yeah, couple of years. Right? I wonder what's happening with him. <laughs> yeah. And so I was crushed and I said, and I left his office and, um, and so, you know, and, 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 and of course, all during the time I was in basic, there was, they they would we were in a we were all in the same building the, the men were on the t- bottom two floors and the women women were on the top floor and um and they would you know do the exercise they would they would call us the girls names and they would do like they would have they would have the men down on the in the in the courtyard doing uh push-ups and stuff and they would they would have like they would have the women go to the window and watch or they would have a stand around watching as the men were doing push-ups 
and if they started to get weak or tired, they would say, you know, they would they would sexualize the push-ups, like, you know, oh, you're at home, you've just got up for basic training, you know, and now you're having sex with her. I mean, they would really start sexualizing the push-ups, and we would we would they would force us to stand there and witness that. Mm. So that was where um, they started inculcating us into the getting used to the idea that that sexual harassment was part and parcel of what we had to deal with as members of the U.S. Army. And um, and so, and I mean, who are we going to complain to, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so then I, I went into AIT. Um, I was at Fort, uh, Fort Lee, Virginia, because I was in uh, I was 36 Delta su- Supply. Okay. And so I was there, and I went to my – the 82nd Airborne was around him. And so I was like, I know I can't be a ranger, but maybe I can jump out of airplanes. I can go 82nd Airborne. Uh-huh. So I I went to my um, my uh, one of my sergeants and I said, Sergeant, I want to I want to be 82nd Airborne. I want to jump out of airplanes. And he said, Estabrooks, almost almost verbatim what the other guy said. <laughs> wow. Get the f out, get the f out of my office. Girls in this man's army don't jump out of airplanes, and they sure as hell aren't 82nd Airborne. Don't you ever come back into my office with that BS. And I think they had a so was, somewhere that they I, just I think regularly said to, they said, if any woman asks you, can yeah. they do these things? This is what you tell them. Just, just generically, yeah. you know. Yeah. Wow. And I was, you know, when I was 19, I was very different than I am at 60. I was, I was like, right. and that was the army and I was like, oh, okay. I, I didn't fight. I wasn't like some of the women that I've talked to since then who were like, oh, F off. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to fight this. You know, I, at 19, I didn't, I didn't have that in me. And, Mm -hmm. um, in retrospect, I wish I had because I talked to some women in my age group who was like, yeah, you could have sister, but I didn't. And, um, because that was what, you know, when those two women got their ranger tabs, I sat in front of that television and stopped. I, they got my tabs. And when people, when people were, um, were dismissing what they did and degrading those women, I, something inside me rose up and I was so pissed off. I was like, you shut your, your faces. You right. do not disrespect those women and what they just did. Cause that right. is something you in your wildest imagination could never ever do. So shut up. Right. <laughs> because I took it real personal. So then I went to, I was, uh, my orders sent me to, and, and, and there, you know, and, and, uh, and of course the sexual harassment continued there in Fort Lee. Um, they would, you know, they would do the whole eyes left, eyes right thing as we walked by. And, and so then I went to Kitzigan, Germany to Harvey Barracks. And, uh, and I was the first woman, um, in that company. And there were very few women, um, it was, you know, in 1978. There weren't a lot of women in the U.S. Army because there were they, you know, during during that time, it, there were only about four percent of the military were women, and so we were very small numbers. And, and in fact, and uh, at Kitsigan, there was only one billet for women. There were so few women on post, and and it was a small building. And um, so I was the only woman in my company, mm-hmm. and the sexual harassment on that base was off the hook it was it was bad it was every minute of every day not they would literally hang out the windows and yell obscenities at us mm-hmm. and 
um, we usually, we, we, I was in supply, so I was at AK off base, uh, about two miles off base. And so we usually had to walk, we walked through, we were at one end of base and that was at the other. So we had to walk across base and off base and the 164th Armored Company was at the end. So we would have to walk through that and they would, the men would get out of their tanks and stand next to their tanks and they would form a gauntlet that we had to walk through. And they would narrow the gauntlet as we got towards the end. And so it was just, it was one thing after another the whole time it was in. And so um, when, as the time for me to leave, and I would complain and nothing would happen. Um, I would get groped and I would complain and nothing would happen. And one day I went to, I, I had a guy, we were in the company area and I was getting off the deuce and a half. It was one of the few days that we had had a ride. And, um, and I, I had learned that I would get on first and I would get off last so that they couldn't mm-hmm. stare at me and make comments about my ass. And, right. um, and, and so I, I was getting off and this one guy, he, he was waiting and waiting. He was like, Esther works, let me help you out. And I, and I kept, so finally I, he was, he was kind of grabbing me as I was getting off and I kept telling him to get his hands off and leave me alone, et cetera. So when I jumped off the deuce and a half, he reached out and grabbed me and I, and I, I grabbed the, the bill of my cap. And I turned, and as I turned, I swung my cap, and I caught him in the cheek with my uh, the company pen, and mm. and he grabbed his face and he screamed, "You bitch!" And there was this a company sergeant standing in the company area, and he came screaming at us and yelled at me for hitting him, and we ended up in the first sergeant's office, and and I said, you know, if this is the way it's going to be in this man's army, send my ass home. I'm done. I did not join the army to be treated like a piece of meat. Just send me home right now. I'm done. And so my sergeant, my, my platoon sergeant, he was there and he he threatened to uh kick the butt of every man in the company if something like that ever went down again. But he couldn't, you know, threaten to kick the butt of every man in the company. I mean on the on the base. So right. so it continued yeah. outside the company. And right. um and so fast forward to about six months before I left and um and so most of the men who were getting ready to leave or who were leaving, they were being, they were getting bonuses, they were getting their choice of stations, they were getting, you know, all of this stuff. And so the battalion uh, reenlistment officer was coming around and he was, and I was good, I was getting commendations, I was doing, you know, I had made it through AIT in half the time. I, you know, I was really good at my job. And, uh, and so I had, I, I had all of this under my belt. So I said, I want, I, this is what I want. And he said, you can't, you can't get that stuff. And I said, all the men are getting it. How come I can't get it? He said, well, you know, women don't get what the men get. And I said, uh, come again. <laughs> and, and I, so I said, you know, and he had, by this time, he had been, he'd come several times. To, he was, he just kept asking me to reenlist. And I said, don't ever come out here again. Do not mm-hmm. come out here. I will not join. I am in, I, I am in the military. I'm supposed to be fighting for freedom. And you just told me that, it's, that my own freedom, my own, everything about this is a lie. So get away from me. Don't ever come back. I'm done with the military. I will not wow. fight for the freedom of everybody else. Well, I'm being discriminated against at the highest level of this government. So just F off. <laughs> and <laughs> Wow. Well, so, well, at some point you got your moxie. As you at the beginning kind of said that you didn't fight, you know, but then it sounds like as, as, as things progressed, you, you got some moxie and decided, I can't continue to let you all do this to me, 
you know. Yeah, I and, I did, and I, and I think part of that was just the just the the discrimination and the being beat up and and all of that. It was just I I I had to dig in and get some oxy because it was it was sink or swim. Was this the end of your career? Or did you decide at that it was. that you were going to get out? What year was that? Mm-hmm. I actually got out on December eighth, nineteen eighty. Okay, so 1980. So just a, yeah. so just so that you have a reference, that was just seven years before I entered. <laughs> I wow. entered just seven years. So imagine the 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 way things were. Of course, yeah. not changed very much by the time I got in. No. So, um, so just seven years. Just seven years. So uh, so not a lot you, of change. No, no. And so once you got out, once you made that decision, like. You just you got your plane ticket or your bus ticket or you got in your car and you you know took the uniform off and got in your car and you left. I mean, what was that like? That shift from every single day, all day long, twenty two four seven, three hundred sixty five days a year. I'm a soldier. I'm in the army. To okay, poof, you're you're a civilian. <laughs> you don't know. I, it's interesting because I don't, I, you know, it's a long time ago and yeah. things have happened in that 40 year span. <laughs> yeah. But I had, I had a daughter. I, um, I had a daughter in 1979 when I was, when I was in the army and, um, and, uh, and so, you know, she was a year old when I got out. And mm-hmm. so, um, it, you know, I was, I, when I, when I got out of the army, I just, I didn't have to do my three years in active because they wanted nothing to do with me because I was a single parent. So they completely released me from everything. So I only had my three years of active duty. I did not, I was released from doing the three years of of reserves or whatever, but, but it was, I just remember, you know, everybody, I I remember just being done and not really even thinking about transition or, or anything. It was like, Oh, okay. I, I was just a girl who was in the army. And I remember thinking of it that way. I was just, I was just this girl who was in the army and I would, and people, I remember people being like, like, wow, you were in the army. That's cool. That's kind of, that's kind of, you're kind of cool because you were in the army. But there was, there was, you know, in 1980, there was no transition thing. There were, they didn't have any such thing as a transition. It was just like, okay, you're done. Here's your ticket. Go home. Right. Um, and, and so there was, there was no, in fact, I was told, um, because I had a, a one-year-old, they, and they didn't know what to do with me, I didn't have a military, I didn't have a, a, when I processed out, I didn't have a medical exam, I didn't have anything, and they said, you could never apply for service-connected disabilities for any of the injuries you sustained, um, so go away, you're done, and, and I, and I believed them, and, um, and so I was like, okay, I'm done, I'm going home now, bye. <laughs> and it just never occurred to me that I would there would be a transition. It was like yesterday I was in the military and today I'm not. And um, and I would and I like I remember when the when the wall came down because I was only sixty kilometers from the eastern bloc country uh, country. And um, and I remember um, when the wall came down thinking that's so weird because I was right there. It's right. It's just it it was an interesting. Feeling and I and I was still at that time in contact with some friends, you know, that I had been in Germany with, and and being in touch with calling them and being in touch with them and being like, wow, are you watching this? This is so bizarre. Right. So I was um, there when that during that time. So that was yeah, you would have been huh? 
Yes, I was I was there and and you know saw the wall you know bits of the wall and all of that stuff in the in the and and it was just amazing to see things you know shift you know directly after that. Mm -hmm. But I was I was there and so um, again military hadn't changed very much because most of my listening audience knows that my experience. Uh, was very similar discrimination, sexual assault, and sexual harassment. In my case, sexual assault, but but of course the harassment was there. Um, you know, harassment for being a, a woman, harassment for being mm-hmm. a woman of color, yeah, you know, harassment for being a young woman of all things. So all of those things were there, and here we are fighting for the democracy of another country in the midst of them. Um, going through that process and us being there, being supportive of that, while at the same time maintaining this level of inequality for the people who are who are right there, boots on the ground, uh, you know, serving, yeah. which were the women that that were parts of many of those units that uh, kept yeah. peace and kept you know kept things going forward. So I just think it's important for our listening audience to understand that that you know. More than one thing can be happening at the same time, you know. Right. You know what I'm saying. So I think it, that it gives the context of what a lot of women are saying about their experiences. Although much of the experiences were great, I'm sure your training, you felt that your training was phenomenal. That the training that mm-hmm. you did get, your education opportunities were phenomenal. Your professional it, opportunities, while they may have been systematically um, you know, thwarted from you going higher levels, you, you had probably more, um, opportunities as a 19, 20 year old than most 19, 20 year olds would as a, in the civilian sector. So it's this whole dichotomy, this very, you know, you love it and you hate it at the same time kind of a space because there were great things that were happening. At the same time, there were some horrible, ugly things that were happening. That that is absolutely the truth, Bridget. I I did love the army, and I w- and I would have said, and you know, when when I talk to people about it, about the discrimination and the sexual assault and harassment, that you know, I tell them all the time, you lose the DoD loses immense talent by allowing and 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 don't and, and I want the listening audience to hear me say this. I've said it over and over again. They allow it to happen. Let's be very clear about that. They could stop sexual harassment. They could stop rape. They could stop sexual assault if they chose to. It's the goddamn military. Excuse my French. They could stop it if they wanted to. They choose not to. And they lose immense talent every single day because they choose not to stop sexual assault, harassment, and rape. They lost me. They lost somebody. I scored a 93 on my ASAB. I, my, my, my sheet said that I literally could have done anything. Anything. And I could have been JAG. I could have done anything. But, but there were 3,000 jobs at that time that a woman couldn't do simply because we were women. Because we had vaginas and breasts. We could not do 3,000 jobs at that time. And then you factor in sexual assault, harassment, and, and rape. I, I, I literally could not, I could not find a way to stay in the Army for myself and my child. Right. Be- because of what? Because of the environment and the policies. 
And there are women today, there are women who are listening, who who can't find a way, who couldn't find a way to stay, whose careers were interrupted because of the discrimination and the sexual assault and the harassment and the rape. And that is the shame of the DOD. Right. And it's, it, and it's a damn shame. Well, you are preaching to the choir on that one. <laughs> I, I fully understand it because that was my experience. My, you know, I left, I, and I say the word left loosely. I was, I, most times I say I was escorted out of the military. Yeah. Uh, they, they wanted me bad enough to, you know, get me out during the middle of the war. Which is, you know, for those who are listening, post nine, you know, post nine eleven, y'all know, in the in the Gulf War era, vets, y'all know, when, when they do a stop loss, that means nobody leaves at all. Yeah. How about I left in the middle of all that, and that was because they wanted me off of that base after reporting, um, you know, sexual harassment. <clears throat> so um, my career and my, you know, service was ended very abruptly, and. um you know, yeah, I would have stayed in. I would have, I would have probably went warrants or went officer. You know, because I, I there had been conversations about that for myself. You know, through my other leadership, saying, you know, we really want you to consider this. And so I started taking courses and doing college classes. I mean, what what eighteen mm-hmm. year old in the military within ninety days of getting on on base starts taking college courses? Very very few. Right. I was very very motivated to um, becoming the best, as they said, be all you can be. I I watched yeah. that ad and thought, I'm going to be all that I can be. And, you know, that was thwarted very early in my career, which which happens, like you said, you go in, you, you, you tell them you want to do something, and they say no, and you, you, you find something else, you say, well, maybe they'll let me do this. And they say no, you know, and, and at some point you just, Resolve that this is what I'm supposed. This is the only thing that I'm going to be allowed to do, and you do it. And then at the same time, there's this, the harassment, and so you know you yeah. have to you know decide. Basically, what you did was you you chose a be- you know your quality of life over your career, not because the work yeah. was demanding, but because the environment was so yeah friggin' hot hostile to warn you yeah. not because you weren't your performance but because of like you said you had a vagina that's it there was no other reason yeah. you had that's lady right. bits you had lady bits yeah. and the lady bits <laughs> were going to yep. get in the way of you you know being being the person that you could have been in the military and 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 I agree with you a lot of the policies and the environment um, and an interrupt careers of women because they, they, they just cannot reconcile doing the work, managing the, the environment and the policies along with the harassment and, and their family. They can't, it's just, it's just too much. It's a lot. When I see women retire and they have all their hair and all their body parts and everything, I'm, I'm like, yay. She she retired. She was able to retire because you know we have high rates of women with alopecia, high yes. rates of with women with fibroids, high rates of women with <clears throat> with immune autoimmune diseases. Uh, you know, like just mm-hmm. you know, especially the folks who retire, combat vets, and the ones who retire. They just, I mean, just the litany of things 
that are, um, you know, are, you know, on their, their disability seats. It's like, you know, you physically, you look great, but I'm looking at what the doctor has said about you. And I'm, I'm knowing that, that you, you've done a great job of putting on all of your masks to yeah. come out and, and present for us today as a fully whole, no, nothing missing, nothing broken veteran when I know that you have struggles. And so I yeah. think we can shift a little bit and talk about that because I think with, you know, with your volunteering work and a lot of your, um, you know, with you being, you know, having a master's in social work and those types of things, you went to school, you got an education, of course, you did all of those things. But to be able to talk about, you know, how you, um, on the other end of this, you know, are reconciling by helping women, you know, basically identify who they are and their experience and then connect with the right resources and services and then empowering them to um, <clears throat> to have their – to own their narrative. I think it's important for our listening audience to hear that from your perspective. You're listening to WVSJ, the Women Veteran Social Justice Network. Well, I, you know, um, I wish I did more volunteer stuff. I, <laughs> you do a lot. My, you do a lot. Well, <laughs> and, and a lot of, a lot of it is, um, is, uh, um, some of it is, is the online stuff that I do and, and reaching yes. out to women online. Yes. But I think that's important too. Um, I, I do, I advocate for women in different ways. Um, I, I try, some of the work that I do is just, is, um, I, I belong to the, um, AAW, the American Association of University Women, and, and some of that is talking to women in those groups and, and talking to people, um, who aren't veterans. I think it's important to make sure that we speak to non-veteran groups and people who aren't veterans and don't have the veteran experience so that they understand. When I speak to women at the American Association of University Women and other non-veteran groups, they always say, and I love this, they say, what can we do to make it better? And I always say, you know, you have strong voices. You have, you are powerful women. When I speak to women at the National uh, Organization for Women, I say, use your voices and use your power. Adopt women veteran issues. When you are going to your national lobby days in Washington, D.C., when you're sitting down deciding what policies you're going to support, call me and ask me what the policies are that are being advanced that support women veterans. Look it up on online and find out what the policies are. And then, and then, and then accept those policies to adopt and, and support and push as an organization. Imagine if all of the women of American Association of University Women, if AAUW National took that to the, to the steps of the Capitol during their annual trip to Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. and said, we want to know why Congress isn't taking action to force the DOD to, to stop sexual assault in the ranks. We want to know why the DOD isn't taking um, uh, sexual assault complaints out of the chain of command. We want, we demand action. Imagine if non-veteran groups took this under their wings and demanded action. Maybe then it would change. And I, and so that's one of the things that I do is I encourage non-veteran groups to use their voices to support us. 
and to support women who are cur- and men who are currently in the issue in the military because because you know when people say you know sexual assault happens to men too yes it does but you know what we know as a as a student of gender studies one of the things that I know and anybody who's a student of gender studies can tell you is that it's sexual assault against men if we can stop it from happening to women it's a it's a it's a gender based assault it's based on power. It's, men are sexually assaulted because they're seen as too weak, too whatever. Men who sexually assault, people who sexually assault do so because the people they're sexually assaulting are seen as weak, and that's a gender-based assumption. They're othered, and, and, there's, and, and feminine pejoratives are used when they're sexually assaulting men. And we have to, we have to stop it against women, and it will stop against men, too. And so when I advocate for these things with these non-veteran groups, I say all of these things and I encourage them to please take up the banner to stop sexual assault because their voices will be added to us. It, it can't just be WBSJ and all of these and Women Veterans Alliance and the other groups going in front of Congress and sitting in front of these chairs. If we can get the power of the non-veteran women's groups behind us, Yes. We've just, we've just fully in, in, enlarged our voices. Absolutely. And I absolutely agree with you on that. Um, one of the other organizations that we've, uh, worked with is federally employed women and they also, mm-hmm. um, have policy and, and they actually have a, you know, set up on a system where we can just go in and just write our, our congressmen and women um, you know, digitally and for different policies and different things that, you know, we want to see a change for. And so I encourage um, all of our listening audience and you as well to uh, be a part of either as a federally employed woman, um, because most people don't realize that if you've served in the military, you've been federally employed. <laughs> yeah. So, yes. And so we encourage women to join the ranks of federally employed women because they do um, fight on behalf of, you know, uh, the, you know, the better wages, uh, you know, reproductive health and uh, concerns facing uh, women who've served um, and are serving, currently serving. So we, and, you know, and other things like, you know, making sure that, um, being the hiring authorities are, you know, hiring women and disabled women to be continually mm-hmm. employed federally. So there's, there's a, li- a litany of things. And so you can go to view.org and I think aaw.org as well, mm-hmm. um, for any of our listening yeah. audience who are, I'm interested in finding out about these organizations because they are they are very very supportive organizations and I've I've been a part of both of those organizations for some time either uh federally employed women is a national partner with WVSJ so we we have a national uh written relationship and AAUW um I believe in the beginning in like 2013 about 2015 or 16 uh, showed Invisible Wars and Service Women Will Come Marching Home and was mm-hmm. very active within the MST's, uh, support movement and then, um, the Equal Rights Amendment. Um, yeah. wow, uh, I think it's WOW is an organization, another organization that brought veteran women, um, first time the feminist movement has brought veteran women to the conversation, um, and a level of prominence to speak on from the pan, you know, speak from the podium 
I think it was in 2014 or 15. And so wow. all of these things, yeah. Yeah, Diana Dennis, and I cannot remember everyone, so forgive me those other women veterans who were involved in that process, but it was very instrumental in making sure that uh, our voices were heard from the podium. And I think uh, uh, myself, Women Veterans Social Justice Network and Women Veterans um, out of Minnesota, a group out of there, and and then um, Service When Women Come Marching Home, and uh, Final Salute, all of us. Uh, there were a few other organizations. I apologize to them because I don't remember specifically, but they were there and and they asked us to to be there on the front lawn of in in D.C. in front of the Capitol, and we spoke and 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 brought our you know said the na- names of the women who had died during service, and mm. talked about the specific areas of of need for support. And so that's, those are things that are very, very important. It's important to tie all the pieces together because yes. I keep saying to people, the challenge for the veteran community is this. You cannot hold, you can, you can have multiple roles in your life. You can hold multiple roles, but you can't have multiple identities. <laughs> you, you're either a, <laughs> a, a veteran and that's all you're going to be, or you're going to be a civilian with, you know, with a veteran experience. Or you got to figure it out. You cannot be yeah. all of those things mentally. At some point, you have to to to, to decide who you're going to be, and and it's, and it's each individual person's choice. It's like where we are now with choosing a pronoun for yourself. It's your choice, but you cannot say I'm a vet and then go in the civilian sector and then think that bringing all of that kind of language and behavior and all that stuff to civilian sectors is going to benefit you. I'm not saying you can't do it. I'm just saying it's it's going to be a hard sell. So you you have to figure it out, but at the same time we also have to be real and talk and and talk about um you know the equity and the diversity and making sure that when we say veteran, we're not only looking for a 23 or 4-year-old white male, but that we're holding space for the, you know, the indigenous woman who served, the Alaskan native who served, the, you know, uh, the, the um, you know, the person who's from Jamaica who is considered an immigrant who served, you know, uh, all of those people are, it was in the military and yeah. you've got to begin to, you know, consider that, you know, it, when we talk about immigration, that there are plenty of people who are here serving in the United States military who, if they were not in uniform, they would be considered an immigrant and we would be talking yeah. about deporting them. So we've got to really um, look at how we engage the veteran community and then how we make space for them in the civilian sector. And the biggest part of that is how our civilian counterparts welcome us and honor us. Women veterans have to be welcomed and honored at the same hero level as our male counterparts. And so um, I know we're almost, you know, we're running down to the last 15 minutes, 10 or 15 minutes. And so I want to kind of get your perspective on the I Am Not Invisible because you really helped to bring the honoring and the welcoming and the outreach and the visibility to um, women veterans through that project that you spearheaded. Thank you. Yes. Um, 
Uh, I love that that project. It was um, it it touches my heart still. Um, you know that project it was a it was a surprise for everybody when when we stood that up. It was just going to be some posters, <laughs> and uh, and 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 what we found was that just the power. And, and you've experienced that um, because you were involved in it. That just the feeling that comes with participating in it and standing in front of those posters, seeing. Seeing that in, in the, you know, the magic that comes for the women who are involved in it of, 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 it, and the women who aren't involved. When women veterans stand in see front it. of those, those, those pictures and see them, no matter how old or how young they are. Yes. Uh, I was, I was here in Oregon with it and, um, I was in a room at a, where we were displaying them. And I, and I, I, I love this story because I think this story is a testament to how this that that the importance of that that exhibit to women veterans um mm-hmm. and to people who aren't veterans and to men in in understanding um because two things happened that day one a a, a woman a, a couple walked up and and he walked in the room and she she approached the room and she and she stepped at the threshold and she burst into tears and she walked mm-hmm. out and and I was sitting there, and I and I understood. I just without any any explanation, I understood. And she and she walked out, and he just kind of looked at her, and he and he was looking at the posters and at the pictures. And she she entered, tried to enter again, and as soon as she hit the threshold, she again had to walk out in tears. And the third time, he looked at her. He said, "What is wrong with you?" And I said. And she just held up her hand and she walked out again. And I said, sir, give her a minute. And he said, I don't know what's wrong with her. She never cries. And I said, give her a damn minute. Mm-hmm. And he said, seriously, I don't know what's wrong with her. And I said, she just walked into a room and saw how she has felt since the day she discharged from the military. Resonated to her 22 times. Give her a damn minute. <laughs> right. And he said, Okay. <laughs> And she finally, she came into the room and she took a deep breath and she said, wow, I do not know where that came from. I am so sorry. And I said, ma'am, you have nothing to apologize for. Right. And she said, I walked into this room and I saw those, those pictures and those words, I am not invisible. And, and that's exactly how I've been feeling since I got out of the military. And I just looked at him like, mm. And he's right. and he kind of shrugged his shoulders. He's like, and he and he pointed to me, and he said, "That's what she said." <laughs> right. And, right. And and so, and she said, "Oh my God, thank you so much for doing this. This is amazing." And so then, right after that, another couple came in, and the woman said, and he was an older. They were probably in their late sixties, early seventies, and um, and she was looking at the pictures, and he wasn't. And she said, honey, look at these pictures. She said, I don't have to look at these pictures. And she said, no, you really need to look at these. These are amazing. And he said, she said, read these stories. She said, there's nothing here. I, he said, I'm not a woman veteran. I don't have to look at these. And um, and so there is one, we have this one image of a woman. She's looking down. And oh. and it's a very powerful, it's the most powerful image in the exhibit. And, and, he was, and he kept looking from me over to, I could see it was catching his eye. And he looked over and he said, except for this one, I need to look at this one. And he walked over and he stood in front of her picture. And she has no bio because we didn't make all the women do a bio. And mm. he said, 
hers doesn't have a bio. And I said, does she need one? And he said, no, it doesn't. And I said, I didn't think so. And he said, now I have to go look at the other pictures. I said, okay. Mm. And, and so it was just, it was just that, 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 I think that's the power of those images and those, and the words, I am not invisible is that is they speak to people and people who think that they don't need to see them because they're, because they, um, they're not women veterans or whatever the case might be are drawn in mm-hmm. to that exhibit. And, and, and it's, it speaks to them in such a way that they never would have experienced had they not stood in front of that exhibit. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We, as many women that showed up and participated here in Atlanta, we're still getting women to say, what? How did I miss that? I didn't see that. What's going on? And then we have organizations that are um, basically, you know, copycatting what you and I put together here in Atlanta and then what you've done all over the country uh, because they recognize the power of, of, of how the visibility of women you know, how, how powerful it was. Yeah. Uh, because we had women, um, who had served in World War, um, I think we did have, yeah, we had two women who served uh, World War II and they, mm. they got on a bus and had caregivers oh. bring them to us oh. to be a part of that. And then we, we, we gave them coins. We, we had, WBSJ oh. has challenge coins that we, we created in 2013 or 14. That because we wanted to be able to honor women with something that we know they would not get from any anywhere else. One, it was a coin mm-hmm. from a woman veteran organization. Two, it's a, a coin with a woman's insignia on it. Now we have them all over. I mean, the the nice. um, the VA has has them, and uh, um, Doctor uh, Doctor Linda Schwartz has given me a coin from. Uh, from the women's center or somewhere. I can't remember. I have to look at my coin uh, chest, but we know that there was not an organization that was a woman veteran run led founded organization that was doing that. And so that's why we did it because we wanted women to really feel the impact of that. And I feel like that's what the I am not invisible project has done as well is people have felt the impact. It was started by women veteran. It was launched by women veteran. And then women veteran have taken the charge to, to like move it forward. We know that other people yeah. have supported it. We're not knocking that. We're highlighting. And, and sometimes I feel like it's when we, when we promote women veterans, like people say, no, but you're not giving everybody credit. It's like, yeah, everybody's got credit. We just want to highlight yeah. women doing great stuff. We just, we just absolutely yeah. want to be able to say women did something great. Um, it's not to say yeah. that no one else did anything great. We just want to, you know, highlight that. And so. We're definitely thankful to Glenn for being able to come in and do the pictures and take such honor and, and you know, precedent and put women veteran as the precedent in a, yeah. in a high place is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And we definitely appreciate him because he, you know, a couple of times he got emotional. Um, oh, Gene? While we were, yeah. Oh, I said Glenn, yeah. I'm sorry, Gene, yes. Yeah. Gene yeah. got emotional when we were, you know, when he was shooting. A couple of times I said, what's going on? Is everything okay? She said, just give him a minute. He's, you know, <laughs> he's got to take a minute. And I, I get it because there were moments that I became emotional because I, you know, saw the women coming in. And, and the VA 
as great as, you know, some of the services are and challenging as some of them are, a lot of women don't come to the VA at that number at any one time and place. And so to have 215 or 20 women show up at the VA to get their picture taken. (laughs) That's amazing. amazing. That's amazing. Our team was just amazing. And And we had our you know, our young women who came and uh, volunteered. We have interns that came and, and helped sign them up and, you know. Oh, you would have had to have. That's, that's a lot. Yes. Yeah. We, 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 we were excited about it. It just was beautiful. And we had other organizations come and help us to do that. And so we're thankful for the community coming together. We're thankful for our women veterans, you know, bringing, showing that women veterans can work together. We we dispel the myth every single day. There's bad apples out there. We're not talking about them. Uh-huh. We're talking about the big collective of women veterans who, like yourself, myself, community leaders who reach out to each other and say, "Can can we have this really great opportunity? Can, can how can we make it better? How can we make it honor women veterans?" And we and we get together and we make it happen. And so we want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for your commitment to the community. And when you said, oh, I don't do very much volunteering, you do a lot. <laughs> and I wanted to make sure that our listening audience knew that and heard it and and got a really good picture of it. Um, tell us where that website is for the I'm Not Invisible so, oh, so sure. our listening audience can go and see those pictures because there's thousands of them now, right? Well, well, um, the, they can see the thousands of pictures, um, at the, it's actually the VA, um, the Center for Women Veterans Facebook page, um, and, and they click on the albums and that's where they can see that all the thousands that have been taken by Jean, uh, Jean Russell, who's the official photographer for the Center for Women Veterans, for the VA, or for the I Am Not Invisible project. And I do, I do want to point out that it's the message, the I Am Not Invisible, is really the important part because, and I think that's why women flock to it, because women veterans, as you know, and as the women listening know, that invisibility factor, women have felt invisible, women veterans have felt invisible, and that's, that's women, that's the draw for women veterans is that it's that, yeah, I am not invisible. Look at me. I'm here. But the, the Center for Women Veterans Facebook page, um, and click on albums and they will be able to just see all of those beautiful, amazing images. And they all look exactly the same. That's the wonder of it is that no matter, is that that's why we decided that that no matter they all have to look exactly the same as far as the the formatting and the layout, so that 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 unity is there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, and that's the the beauty of it. No matter where, part, what part of the country you go to, um, and yeah. pictures from whatever country, part of the country, it is really just this this amalgam of all the women who served. You know, my hope is that, you know, the two million women who've served on some level, shape, form, or fashion, um, participate in, in this particular project or, or others that are get sprouting up so that we have yeah. a digital narrative of women who serve. Yeah. Because it would mm-hmm. be great to, and me and you were going to talk offline for a second, but it would be great to, to bring that, bring another project forward so that yes. so that although you know we know that it's digitally available on the Facebook page but making it so that it's always available across history through a digital yeah. you know platform um and so oh, that gosh. way you know women can future generations 
actually have that 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 data and that information. And it's no cost to them. It's no cost to our women veterans because we do so much already. You know, we're raising money to keep WIMSA together. We're raising money to keep WVSJ together and other organizations. It's like, you know, some things the government needs to take care of just like they do for other, you know, eras of service and other groups of service men. So there's a point where the men, where they have to decide that women's history is important. Yeah. Women's history of service is important and they are willing to catalog and maintain it so that it's there for future generations. And so I'm going to leave our, uh, you leave us with any last words, uh, cause I'll get all caught up in that political conversation. <laughs> well to all the women veterans um, who are listening thank you for your service and um and you are not invisible and you know take pride and thank you and um and i always i can never leave women veterans without saying that um if you have not sought your service connected benefits that you deserve please do so and what organizations tell them how to do that at the VA or do an organization? Um, uh, I would say, you know, it, depending on what state you're in, you, you might have be able to do that through your county veteran service officer. Or if you don't have, like in Washington, they don't have county veteran service officers. You know, you can you can look to, to NABVETS, the National Association of Black Veterans. Uh, you can look to the VFW, the DAV, the American Legion, any of those veteran service organizations. But they can help you if you have um, have experienced military sexual trauma. You know, make sure that you ask your veteran service officer if they have if if they have successfully filed those claims, or you know, reach out to like uh, service women who who served and and find out who there is in your in your state or community who has experience with those claims because they're you want somebody who who knows how to do those particular claims because they're important and 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 they're hard they're hard as hell so but take yeah. care of you um you women take care of you well thank okay. you so much for your uh for you sharing your narrative and giving us that information and uh we really really appreciate appreciate you um telling us about your service and sharing you know some of the insight that maybe other people may not have known related to the experience of being a woman who served. So we definitely thank you for that, and thank you for all of the work that you do in the community. So, everyone, thank you so much for listening to Women Veterans Social Justice Network here on Heroes Media Group. We want to thank our sponsors, AARP Georgia and Protect Our Defenders, for helping us to uh, stay on the air and keep us going and having these narratives put forward so that women uh, who served have an opportunity to share their narratives and the community at large will have an opportunity to hear them. So stay tuned and thank you for listening to Women Veterans Social Justice Network and have a great week. God showed me here is where I'd be.